All right, today we're going to be wrapping up the story of Stephen, uh, which is what we've been in the past several weeks now, uh, as we've been working through Acts 6 and as we've been working through uh, Acts chapter 7. Uh, and we are going to be seeing the climax of the story of Stephen. And like I said, this really began back in Acts chapter 6 when we saw that Stephen uh, and seven others were elected to serve Christ's church. Uh, and as we've seen in the scriptures uh, in 6 and then also in 7, what we'll see today, uh, the scriptures refer to Stephen as one and as a man who is full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. So what we've seen so far up until this point, if you've missed, just for a brief recap, Stephen is speaking to the high priest after he is seized. He's speaking to the council uh, and all who are present. And he presents to them uh, all the forefathers. He brings up Abraham. Uh, he brings up the patriarchs. He brings up Moses, David. And he brings up Solomon. He brings up the forefathers and he exclaims to them, in verse 51, as we saw, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And that's Acts 51 through 53, I believe. And that right there at that point, uh, Stephen's audience had had enough of him. Uh, they were okay with him as he was preaching of the history that they know until he called them out on their sin and until he... Just shot it straight with them. These people could not take any more of what Stephen had to say, and they deemed it appropriate that he at least be beaten and, as what we'll see today, be killed. So before we read our text and examine what the Lord would have for us, let us bow our heads, pray, and ask for His grace today. Father, we praise You for who You are. We praise You that You are holy and that as a holy God, you have redeemed a wicked, sinful people to yourself. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your active obedience and your passive obedience and your work on our behalf and the finished work of the cross. Father, I pray that today you would build our faith by the power of your spirit. Spirit, I pray that you would remove distraction as we know that it is a very real thing. pray that you would take away any small distractions, that we would set aside our phones, that we would listen to your word today. Spirit, I pray that you would do a work through me as I speak, that you would guide my tongue. Father, I pray that your spirit would also work in the listener and the Christian and the non-Christian to convict, to lead in repentance, but to also just rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your gospel. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So if you haven't already, grab your Bibles. Uh, I said put aside your phone in the prayer. If you use your phone as a Bible, I'm not going to like stare you down. Uh, but if you would, grab your Bible uh, and flip open to the text that we are going to be reading, which is Acts chapter 7, 54 through 60. Um, and as we say every week, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, or we have some in the back, we have some somewhere. There's a blue ESV Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, or if you, don't, if you know someone who needs one, who's asked for one, please, please, please take that. Let that be a gift from us here at Redeemer to you. Uh, so that you can have God's word in your hand. Um, but Acts seven fifty four through 60. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at, them, at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. So in preparation for this, as I read through this section, as I read through this chapter, of scripture, uh, two two things that were very clear to me, but that are not my main points, but I think are worthy for a little bit of our attention, uh, is the first that I found it practically uh, impossible to miss the similarities between Stephen and Christ. Found it impossible to miss it from the time of their arrest up until the time of their death. Both of them spoke in ways that made it impossible for the listeners to dispute what they were saying. They both went through trials that were unlawful. They both had false witnesses who lied to the council and to the audience. And the similarities just kind of keep going on and on. Uh, And secondly, as I was reading this passage, one of the most evident parts in this specific passage that we're in uh, was the extreme contrast between Stephen and the men uh, who were fixed on murdering him. So just to make this contrast clear, the men, as we see, were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. On the contrast, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. The men cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and rushed at him. The men stoned Stephen. And Stephen cries out to God, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
On one side, you have the full embodiment of the wickedness that man is capable of. They were demonic in their actions towards Stephen and demonic in their action toward God. And on the other side, you have the embodiment of the commandment that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 5. All the way to the nth degree and a living example of what Christ suffered for his church and for his bride. So what the Lord has had for us in his word over these past several weeks leading up until now is how the Christian who is full of the Holy Spirit is to love the world and specifically love his enemies, her enemies. While the world absolutely hates the Christian's prized possession, namely being Jesus Christ. Now there are two certainties that we see in the scripture today uh, that are very clear and they applied to Stephen and the church then and they apply to the Christian and Christ church today. One of which is that as Christians who are going out proclaiming salvation in Jesus alone, as Christians who are calling sin what sin is, as Christians who are calling people then to repent of that sin and to turn to Jesus, you will have enemies. And this is something that Jesus warns his disciples about, and I'm going to refer to this probably one or two more times throughout, but Jesus warns his disciples about this in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 10. As Christians, we will have enemies that hate us, that despise us, and then we'll be, get very irritated and even full of rage towards us at the moment we speak the name of Christ, or as we point out that their lives are not in line with the ultimate authority, that being Scripture. And the second is that Christians who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, which if you are a Christian, the Bible tells us that you are empowered with the Holy Spirit, are to love those enemies, are to love those that I just laid out. Now, there are several different responses that we can have as Christians uh, with this. And I think these two that I'm going to give are a product of the flesh and a product of the fall, and that we are still not perfected. But we have to be careful not to land in a space where we are comfortable having enemies, where we're okay with it. Like, just, it's all right. I'm all right with that. Because what I have noticed with people who are like this, and I would say even myself in some seasons, and the Lord is still working on me, but I find myself comfortable with that uh, because I look for arguments, because I look for confrontation at times, because I'm not compassionate, because I'm not gracious. We want to be careful not to fall into this space where we are looking for the fight and in so doing show no compassion for the people God has called us to love. 
It's a big misstep that we must avoid. But on the other side of that, another response uh, that we want to be aware of is an overwhelming compassion. That's not even really compassion. It's just passiveness. Compassion in the face of opposition, but no courage to say things that need to be said for the sake of relationship, for the sake of peace, for the sake of happiness. So we don't say the things that we need to say. It makes them, it makes me, it makes you uncomfortable. Because in so doing, and wanting to be this very compassionate, if you want to use that word, compassionate person, uh, without courage to speak the truth, your love is not love, but is in fact neglect of that individual and no love for their soul. So how do, we, how do we navigate through this? How do we try to do this right? Uh, I want to first and foremost say that this is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, uh, which we will get to. But how do we love Muslims or people in other religions that hate Jesus? How do we love the LGBTQ community? And others who embrace the culture this world wants us to agree with and wants us to accept and wants us to approve. How do we love those who hate the Lord Jesus? Well, I've never been a fan of uh, like the dummies books, you know what I'm talking about? Like the instructionals. So we're not going to do that. This is not going to be a sermon on uh, six practical steps to loving your enemy. By the way, if you love those books, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not ripping on you. Uh, but this is not going to be a sermon that is six practical steps to loving your enemies. Because we know that this type of love that we are called to is not a love that we in and of ourselves are able to do in our flesh. But in fact, it is the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian, which is what we see in Stephen today. We see that Stephen is undeniably had real enemies that really hated him. These people were not what we will typically run into. What we run into is they say some hurtful things. They call you a hypocrite, which you probably are. They ignore you. They talk behind your back, so on and so forth. We get our feelings hurt. These were men, as we already know, who hated Stephen, who hated Jesus so much that they were set on killing him. They were filled with rage. And we see in verse 54 that they ground their teeth at him and this is pretty strange language. I've never heard anyone use this in conversation. Uh, I've only seen this in the scriptures. But they ground their teeth at, them, at him. And this is a type of anger that is past the use of words and reason. This is a type of anger that has become an anger that is ready to do harm to another person. It is a type of anger that is hatred and a physical expression Anything to get him to stop talking or, in Stephen's case, 
to stop breathing. So I usually don't do this, and some of y'all might hate it, some of y'all might like it, but I actually have points today. This is the first sermon I've ever preached where I have points. Uh, so if you are a note taker, you're welcome. Um, so here we go. Some of these points are really short, but I think that they were worthy enough to actually have a point given to them. So we're actually going to be in 51 for a little bit, uh, but love uses strong language. That's the first point. Now, I know we've already read this, but we're going to read it again. Stephen finishes his sermon to his audience saying this, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Stephen was not gentle with them. He was compassionate, but he was not gentle with them. He didn't end this long section or even that section right there by saying, this is just what I think. Uh, he didn't say, you just need a little bit of work. No big deal. Uh, you know, this is just what I believe. I've been guilty of that one. This is what I believe. Uh, or I could be wrong about this. He didn't end that way. He ended with a statement that cut straight to their hearts, as we have seen. But Stephen boldly proclaimed with authority, much like what we see Jesus do in his ministry, Stephen proclaims to them, you murdered the Messiah. You murdered the one that the entire Old Testament looked forward to. You are a stiff-necked people. One of the main things that amazed the audience of Jesus and also of Stephen and other people through the New Testament uh, is that they spoke with such authority. And people do not like this unless the Holy Spirit is doing a work in them. So Stephen loved these people by calling their sin out, and he did so with strong language. My second point is love speaks to a person's sin. Now, Stephen didn't just speak with strong language uh, because he could. He didn't just speak with strong language in regards to trivial matters. Uh, he spoke with them strongly because of their sin. The entire sermon that was preached by Stephen uh, was a recalling of how the people of Israel lived in complete rebellion to God. How they were people who hated the prophets who abused those that God had put over them. They were a people who resisted God. And Stephen is saying, you are exactly the same. 
And the world as we know it right now is exactly the same. The world would rather have their sin. The world would rather have its enjoyment in the things that God calls wicked. And in doing so, they reject the Messiah. They reject Jesus. They reject the very person who is the Christian's tried possession. And the world tries to justify sinful living. Um, one of the ways we see this now in our culture is they justify their sin by giving a gross, distorted definition of the word love. Love to the world today is not calling out the way in which someone sins, but accepting them. Uh, and as we have seen too, um, it has progressed to not just accepting, but approving and supporting their lifestyle and supporting their life choices. And maybe one that's not as explicit is maybe they just justify their sin by comparing themselves to the worst of the worst uh, so they can say, well, I'm not that bad. And for the Christian, for us to not lovingly call out sin, lovingly call them to repentance, call them to cling to the crucified Christ as their whole, only hope is a neglect to love these people. So my third point, love speaks of Jesus as the only Savior. Now these people hated Stephen. We've, we've said that. We see that. Because Stephen spoke to them with strong language, because he called out their sin, but they hated him mostly because Stephen proclaimed that Jesus was in fact the Christ. Verses 56 through 58. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And if you notice, the reason why I said earlier, beat him and as we'll see today, kill him. Um, it's after he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand where the rage just went through the roof. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed to gather out him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. As soon as Stephen called on the Son of Man, they could not contain the rage and they picked up stones and they murdered him. Here's the thing. People will not have a problem with you or with Christians, with people in, in general, is if we just view Jesus as a good teacher, if we just view Jesus as a prophet. Uh, or the one that I hate the most is if people will not have a problem with you if you look at Jesus as your homie. always hated that. Even whenever I wasn't a Christian, I always hated it. Uh... But if you view Jesus as the Bible describes him and you communicate to people, you will gain enemies because people hate the biblical Jesus. Many hate authority that is outside of themselves. They want to be in charge. They want to be the ones who are running their lives. Uh, they do not want someone telling them the standard or even that there is a standard. 
of right and wrong, of sin and of righteous living. So when you start speaking of sin and specific about said sin, and you start speaking of the authority of Scripture and Jesus being the only one who can provide salvation, which when you do that, when you do that, you are saying whatever belief system you have, whatever God you have cannot provide you hope, cannot provide you salvation, and you worship a false God. That is what you are saying when you say that to a person. You say things like this, people will not like you. People will hate you. So the question that naturally arises for me, and then a question that I would like for you to ponder, is do you have enemies? Now these enemies, most likely, I don't want to say never, but most likely in our context today, uh, they do not look like the, the enemies that Stephen experienced here. Uh, I would even have to say that we have to realize that persecution looks very different for us uh, than it does for other believers around the world. Brothers and sisters in Nepal, is, is some people that I think of who lost families, like even whenever I was over there, they became a Christian, their whole family rejected them. That is not really a fear that we have here. So persecution looks very different. Uh, but I think the question, like I kind of mentioned earlier, to ask yourself is, does, does everyone hate you? If so, you're the problem. Does everyone love you? If so, you're the problem. Just, it looks a little different. Because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you are steadily following after Christ and steadily working out his commands in your life, you will have enemies. You will gain enemies. You will be sharing the gospel with people who do not want to hear the gospel. You will be pointing out sin to people who do not want to hear their sin. They do not want their sin brought before them. They do not want to hear a standard. You will be strong with your words you use because the authority of Scripture trumps any sort of authority man thinks he has in these matters. And the call that the Christian has to these people is that we love them and that we love them well. The best example of this is obviously the example that we see in Christ. How he loved a people and sought after a people, saving a people who were the oppressor, who were the persecutor, who were the murderer, who were the slanderer, who was the hater. And we see this exemplified here with Stephen in verse 60. When he prays for them, much like when Jesus asked the Father to forgive the ones who are crucifying him. Stephen cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them as he is being stoned to death. This type of love does not exist outside of what we've seen in chapter 6 that describes Stephen in verse 3. 
and in, in chapter 7, verse 55, which tells us about Stephen and that he is full of the Holy Spirit. My fourth point is that to love your enemies, you must trust in the judgment of God. 1 Peter 2, 21-23 For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And this is, this is what the world misses. And this is what we miss whenever we are operating uh, in the flesh. You cannot have and you cannot know love unless you understand and believe in the wrath of God. You will have an incomplete or wrong definition completely if you do not understand the judgment and wrath of God. No sin committed against you, me, or anyone will go unpunished. No sin committed against God ultimately will go unpunished. Stephen did not grind his teeth back at them. He did not complain about things being unfair for the treatment he was receiving. Now, did he like it? No, absolutely not. Was it comfortable? No, it was very uncomfortable and excruciating pain. I got hit with a rock from a weed eater the other day. It felt terrible. Stephen was stoned to death. He was absolutely in excruciating pain and uncomfortable. But Stephen understood rightly the wrath of God, the judgment of God, knowing that the judgment of God will either be poured out on his persecutor or that some would be drawn by the grace of God and given faith and the wrath for their sin would be poured out on Jesus on the cross. He understood that. My tendency in the flesh, not operating in the Holy Spirit, not with the Spirit working in me, and, I, and I'm positive that this is with you too. It's not this. It doesn't look like this at all. We are complainers. Uh, we think and potentially even say that we deserve better. We deserve better treatment. We deserve respect. Will they hurt my feelings? I'm not, I'm not like trying to downgrade your feelings. I'm not trying to downgrade that those things hurt because they do. But, but we can be a bit of babies at times. All of that is the flesh speaking. When you hear this in your inner dialogue, as you are going through this, remind yourself of the judgment of God. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy that you deserve better because, to be honest, you do not want what you deserve. But remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself that you have been forgiven. Remind yourself of how we are then called to love 
because we were first loved in our miserable state. And here's the thing. If you do throw a pity party, look to the cross for forgiveness. This is not a sermon telling you you're not saved if you're not loving like this. That is the last thing that I want to communicate. Look to Jesus for your justification and His finished work for your assurance. Look to the promise that we have that He will finish a work that He has started. Also, maybe just pray for a little thicker skin to just be able to take it and to be able to suffer well. Or on the other side, pray that the Lord would soften you a little bit and round off those edges so that you can be a more compassionate person. And my last point here is to love your enemies is to behold God's glory. Acts 6.15 reads, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Uh, and this reminds us of, of another account that we see in the Old Testament with Moses. Moses' face was transfigured because he saw the glory of God. Stephen's face was transfigured because he saw the glory of God. And as we have read, Stephen ex exclaims, Behold, I see the heavens opened. <clears throat> and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And as Stephen is dying, he says, Do not hold this sin against him. He was able to love his enemies because the glory of God was so overwhelming and brought him such joy that he wanted his enemies to experience this joy just as he did. His desire was that they would see Jesus. His desire was that the Son of Man would be seen in all his glory. He desired more than his life for them to receive mercy. He desired more than his life that they would, by faith, grasp on to Christ so that the judgment they deserved would be laid on Christ and that they would not have to bear it themselves. My prayer is that as the people here at Redeemer Fellowship, we would have the weight of this reality placed on us. Uh, not so that we can carry it as a burden, but so that we can worship God for His goodness, so we can worship God for His grace, worship God for His mercy, and in turn, want that for our enemies. My prayer is that we would feel deeply our need for Christ, that we would reflect on the love and mercy that we received as we were God's enemies at one time, and that in turn we would show love and compassion towards our enemies. And as we will see, uh, as we continue through the book of Acts in the coming weeks and months, uh, the church is scattered, it is ravaged, uh, but Stephen's death was not in vain, as we know if you've read Acts. We see that the prayer of Stephen is answered by the conversion of Saul into Paul. And Paul came to realize very quickly that the Jesus he persecuted is in fact the Messiah and is in fact the only hope for salvation. As we close, um, I want you to think of 
your enemies, of your loved ones, of your families, of your friends, co-workers, community around you. I want you to think of them, and you know those people who are separated from Christ. And you know that you have had opportunities to share the goodness of Jesus and share the goodness of his gospel. But you have passed them up because of what they might think of you or because it would make you, them, uncomfortable. Or the people that you have not called, uh, they're sent out. We all have those people. But you've left their sin alone in order to keep the relationship happy. And as you do this, I don't want you to focus on that inner dialogue uh, that I have. So I know many of you could probably relate uh, that you are a failure of some sort because you've not done well at this. I do not want you to listen to that. That is the enemy speaking. But instead, I want you to behold the glory of God and the fact that he has saved a sinful, wretched person like yourself. Because Jesus took the wrath that you deserve. Because Jesus drew you to himself. And that by that, in the working of the Holy Spirit in you, that you would have those uncomfortable talks with kindness and with love and with compassion. My prayer is that the Spirit would make you and me uncomfortable with ourselves and our denial and failure to do this. And I'll just be transparent here for a second. This is really, 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 really hard. This is not easy. I don't want to pretend that this is an easy thing. I don't want to communicate that I or any of the other pastors here at Redeemer are just crushing this, because we're not. Just this Friday, I failed at this pretty miserably. Uh, as I was preparing for the sermon, uh, my father was laid really heavily on my heart. Um, anxiety is not the right word to explain the feeling, but I had this constant inner bothering. And it was this thought, uh, you don't share the gospel with your dad. Uh, it was this thought, you don't lovingly call out his sin. And to be honest with you, a lot of the times it's because I feel so indifferent about my father. And I have shared the gospel with him before. I've called out sin before. Or I already don't see him enough. Do I really want our time together to be uncomfortable? Or do I really not want to see him much after I have these conversations? I saw my dad Friday at my niece's birthday party. Uh, and that bothering was very present I uh, had clammy hands, I uh, had butterflies in my stomach. I was just ultimately very uncomfortable. Uh, and my conviction was that your father, as of right now, is going to hell. Your dad has rejected the gospel and embraced a lifestyle that is in complete rebellion to God and in complete rebellion to his word. 
the Lord even provided like a segment of time where he asked to see a new vehicle that we got, and I had 15 minutes of alone time with him. And I still did not have this conversation. So I failed here, but here's the thing. I say this because I know that many in this room can relate to this experience in some way or another. First and foremost, if you have failed, which you have, because we all have, and if you continue to fail, look to the cross and do not try to bear your guilt, do not try to bear your shame, but cast that on Jesus who willingly takes it. And secondly, share Jesus with them. They very well might hate you. Matthew 10, 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You might lose your father. You might lose You might lose your mother, you might lose your children, you might lose your friends. You might push these people away and they may never want to talk to you again. But to love them well, and to love them as Christ has called us to, you might be a tool that God uses to gain them for eternity in the presence of Jesus. Where he will be yours and their fullness of joy. Now I'm going to wrap up, uh, but I have to... It, it was... My conviction that I know that I'm speaking to two audiences here, and first and foremost, I've speaking, I've spoke uh, to the Christian. That's who I've spoke to. But I want to lovingly say to some in this room, maybe, and I pray that the Spirit will cut to your heart as I speak, and that you would be miserable in your sin. You do not see the weight of your sin. Matter of fact, you enjoy the sin that you commit. You don't even view that sin as sin. You've accepted what the world deems good, embraced the folly of man. And thereby celebrated with them in their wickedness.
Uh, I'm going to say this next part just because it is so prevalent in our culture today. You celebrate with groups like the LGBTQ and other groups that promote and grossly distort the true definition of love. You cheer alongside demonic organizations like Planned Parenthood, all for the false idea that you are helping empower women while they kill innocent image bearers of God. And even if you haven't done those things, even if you haven't accepted the ideas and the philosophies of our culture, you have rejected the Word of God to be true and authoritative. You do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You do not trust in Him for salvation, and thereby you make Jesus out to be a liar. My prayer for you and the call for you is the gospel. My prayer is that God would forgive you for the sin that you have committed against him. That he would remove scales from your eyes, that he would draw you near to himself, that he would give you a new heart, that he would empower you with the Holy Spirit, that he would give you faith and that he would conform you into the image of Christ. My prayer is that you would trust in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. My prayer is that you would find rest, comfort, peace, and the fullness of joy in Him. Let's pray.